Well, good morning. Is that fun? Should, should, should we do that again sometime? Or is that like, let's never do that ever again? So like, if you're like, I never want to do that ever again, let me see some hands. If you're like, I could take it maybe in the middle. If you're like, that was really fun, do it again. Oh, well, cool. We will do that again then sometime. I don't remember when it happened. I don't know if it was an instant in my life or if it was something that happened over a long period of time. But at some point in my life, and it may be true of yours too, I learned that it's not always safe to let what's inside show on the outside. I learned that sometimes when I'm excited about something, I should keep it to myself because people might mock you for being excited about it. I learned, especially from my mother, and I think my kids are learning this from me, I learned that if I was angry about what was happening, I should not let it be expressed, but should keep my eyes low and my spirit humble. Somewhere along the line, I disconnected my inner life from my external expression. I think we've all done this at some point. Um, I, I remember a distinct moment with Ewan where someone was saying something to Ewan that was like praising him. And I watched his face light up and he got all excited and animated. And I looked at Monica and I said, do you know the sad thing is? That's how I feel on the inside when people say nice things to me. But instead I go, oh, thank you. And I rob people I've been able to see the joy that comes when they uh, say something that's positive to me. Fast forward a little bit, I remember dating a Christian girl in high school, and I didn't really know what this Christianity thing was. I'd grown up in a very traditional church in a nominal Christian family. I remember dating this girl who was part of a family that were kind of like into this Jesus thing. Um, and she would go to this event that was called Fire Starters, and it was one weekend a month, and all of these young people um, from 12 to 18 would gather, they'd worship, they'd pray, they'd break into groups, they'd go out in the town, there'd be some people dancing in the town, there'd be drama, there'd be acting, there'd be music. Um, and, and I remember her telling me about it, and she'd come back, and I remember her saying to me this thing, um, and she's like, yeah, it drives me mad. They're people, they're, they're like fakers and they're hypocrites. And I was like, because they put their hands up when worship's happening. And I'm like, what does that mean? And I'm like, so what are they doing? Well, the band starts singing and people are just like, wah! And they're totally just putting it on for the people in the room. They don't actually mean it. There's no way you can go from like arriving and getting out of the car and getting all your stuff sorted. And the music starts and you're just like, Jesus, I love you. She's like, they're faking it. They're putting it on for people. And I know some of them. They're over in the corner. They're, they're speaking and gossiping and talking about people behind their back. They're, they're angry people. They're sleeping around with other people. And then they turn up and it's like, wow, they're total hypocrites. And I'm like, Okay, she feels very passionate about people putting hands in there. I'm like, like, do they put, like, what does that look like? Like, like, what's hands in the air? I don't know what this means and what is it? And so she explains that there's this thing where people put their hands in the air when they're worshiping. And I'm like, okay. So what do I do? Because I don't like to show what's on the inside on the outside. I go home and I'm in my bedroom. 
And I'm reading my Bible and going, okay, there's some stuff in here about people putting their hands in the air. So I put some worship music on in my room and I closed the door. And I, it was common for me to pray and to sing to worship music. I closed the door and I put worship music on. And I'm like, in the room, knowing that my girlfriend is going to frown upon this. And I'm like, I'm going to put my hands in the air. And I'm like, no, can't do it. I'm like, oh, this is so weird. Why would I do this? Like, it's, what's going to happen? Like, why would you put your hands in the air? And I have this wrestle, like, this is stupid. She thinks it's stupid, so why would I do it? Like, they're doing it in the Bible, but that's totally dumb. And so I have this moment where I'm like, okay, God, I don't know what this is about, but I'm just going to do it. So in my room, I'm singing a song, and I just put my hands up in the air, and I sing. I'd like to say the world changed. (laughs) It didn't, but I will tell you, something happened in me in that moment. It was like, not everyone gets this, but it was like pins and needles. It was like static electricity in my body. And in part, I think it was encountering the presence of Jesus in my bedroom. In part, I think it was something physiologically happening in my body as the inner life and the outer life reconnected in a way that I had disconnected. I fast forward again. I'm sitting with my mentor in a Starbucks in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, We'd planted a church together. I had just preached on Sunday. We get together and he wants to talk with me about the sermon and give me some feedback. And as he would always do, so how do you feel it went? And so I'm like, well, I did this and I did that and that went too long and I didn't communicate this very clearly, but overall, I think I did a good job. And he's like, great, do you want some feedback? And I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, how honest do you want my feedback to be? I was like, I want the brutal, honest truth. Like, I'm not gonna grow without it. And he's like, it was the most boring sermon I have ever heard in my life. And I'm like, and he goes, and I don't understand it because we sit, over coffee, talking about what God is doing in your life, and you're animated, and you're excited, and you're enthusiastic, and your eyes light up, and then you get up there to preach, and it's not the first time it's happened, it just all shuts down, and you talk in this monotone voice, and you're very stationary, and there's no animation, there's no, and you communicate everything like you're a professor in a math lecture, running through stuff he's been teaching for 40 years. And he said, I don't understand it, but it seems to me like you deliberately put a lid on your passion for the sake of propriety. In order to look the way you think is the right way, you put a lid on your passion. And then my journey with him as a communicator and as a pastor and as a human being was one of helping educate me on how to reconnect my inner life with my outer expression, especially when it came to standing up here. I'm hoping it's changed. I'm hoping I'm not quite as boring and unanimated. I think, I think some of you want me to stay a little more still. I know Carl in the back wants me to be a little more stationary um, than I am. Sometimes there's a little too much energy now. I think for many of us, as we get older, we learn how to hide what we feel. The world hurts us in various ways, and so we shut it down. 
I think countering this is one of the reasons Jesus says what he does about being like little children. So Matthew 18, he called a little child to him, placed the child among them, and he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I wonder if part of what Jesus is talking about at this moment, kids are free in their expression. We see it on Sunday during worship. If you have kids in here during worship, they are free to run. Uh, you might have to keep them from going backstage and jumping off something, but, but they are free to run and be themselves. But as adults, we, we watch kids, and in many senses, we're envious of kids and the freedom that they feel. But as adults, we feel like there's a proper way to be. And not all the time, sometimes there is a proper way to be, but sometimes we squash who we're required to be and, and, and squash what's going on inside of us. So when it comes to faith, we have to reconnect our head with our hearts, with our hands. We've got to learn to reconnect mind, soul, spirit, and body together in the way that we engage our faith. Now, we know this because we try and pursue Jesus and we say we understand that we're supposed to make disciples of all nations and we want to make disciples of all nations, but it's much easier to sit on the couch and watch a TV show than it is to go out and actually share the gospel with our neighbors. So we regularly encounter the disconnect between head, heart, and our hands as we work in the world. But when it comes to worship, it's the same thing. We have to relearn how to connect our head and our heart and our body in our worship experience so that what we feel toward Jesus on the outside is expressed, uh, what we feel on the inside is expressed on the outside. There are many movements and periods of time in the history of the church that have deliberately disconnected the head and the body. There are movements in the church that have said this body is fleshly, it's the source of our sin, all the things that we want to do with our body are evil, and so instead we've got to cultivate our soul and focus on our spirit, and we're going to be in prayer and in worship, and those things, we're going to learn truth, those things are what matter, and what we do with our body doesn't. Um, and, and our traditions, the traditions you grew up in the church, some traditions of church celebrate sitting in stillness for a church service. If you're in a charismatic expression, you've grown up where people dance and wave flags and they wave their hands in the air and they bow down on the ground. If you grew up in a high church tradition, the Anglicans, the Catholics, the Episcopal, the Eastern Orthodox, they're going to stand for parts of the service. They're going to recite. They're going to kneel. Um, they're going to cross themselves using their body all through the service as a means of expressing their faith. Um, so for many of us, the way that we engage in worship with our physical body is something that we've inherited from the tradition around us, we've inherited from the culture around us, or we've inherited through the disconnect between our heart and our body that we've inherited through the brokenness of our experience. We need to reconnect our head, heart, and hands. The Bible is replete with examples of body and how it engages in worship. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to fly through some verses in Psalms just to show you some of the movements that happen here. Now, I'm, I'm limiting this only to Psalms. There are hundreds of places you can go in the Bible to look at this. Um, and why am I limiting it to Psalms? Because Psalms is the worship manual for the church and has been for 
for the church for 2,000 years and for the Jewish nation before that, these are the songs they would sing and were the, 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 the texts that were used to educate the nation on what it meant to worship God as they engaged them in the temple. So let's look at some of the things the Psalms say. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on a ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. I didn't highlight that word, but that's an action. Shout for joy, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful and all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. Psalm 63, one of my favorites. You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm, uh, this isn't Psalm 63, this is Psalm 95. Uh, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now just notice in this Psalm, The invitation is to bow down and to kneel, but they're not doing this. Today, if you would only hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For the psalmist writing Psalm 95, a hardened heart refuses to bow down and kneel in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 119, my flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. We we, um, figuratize this. So we're like, when I stand in awe of something, we mean an internal posture. The Bible means physically, I stand in awe of your laws. And whenever it was read, the congregation would stand together, the reading of the word. Psalm 123, I lift up my eyes to you who sit enthroned in heaven. Psalm 149, right at the end of Psalms, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing heaven forbid, and make music to him with timbrel and harp, for the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. In Psalms, you see at least 11 postures that are taken during worship, using our voice to speak God's praises, to sing or to shout with joy, using our hands raised, clapping, playing musical instruments, using our body, bowing, and when it's bowing, it's face down on the ground, kneeling, sitting, standing, dancing. The people of God were to freely express their love and devotion to the God who had rescued them from darkness and called them to be his own people. When I look at this list, I don't know that I feel this describes our Sunday morning gatherings. Some of it is. Some people are perhaps a little more free than others. But I would love to see a Sam-like expression of our devotion to God. Sometimes the right expression is to sit quietly in your seat with no instruments on the stage as with just our voices alone we sing a new song. Sometimes we're called to take what we feel inside and allow it to show on this body that we inhabit.
we've disconnected the spontaneity of our expression from our worship. Three most common words in the Bible for worship. So when you see them, they'll be translated often as the word worship. And I want to show you these because I want you to see that we have spiritualized the word worship and we've disconnected it from the actions that we just saw. So first of all, the word avad is the word that's used for labor or work. Um, so this is when you go out into the world for like for seven days you will work and on the, for six days you will work and on the seventh day you'll rest. It's that kind of work. So it's using your body to do work in the world. But it's also used to describe how they work in the temple and how we serve the Lord with our bodies as we go in the world. So the word avad is probably the clearer one, to work, to labor, to serve, to minister, to worship. The next one, shacha, there's two words that are connected, shacha and chava. Um, and, and this is one of the most common. I think this is like 160 times it's used in the Old Testament. And what does this word mean? When you see it, uh, you're going to see it either translated the word worship or you're going to see it translated as bow down. The word literally means to sink down and prostrate. The most common word is this expression. Prostrate, reflexive, homage to royalty or to God, to bow yourself down, to crouch, to fall down flat, to humbly beseech, to make obeisance, to do reverence, to stoop, to worship. Those are the Old Testament Hebrew words. If you jump to the New Testament, the most common word is proskuneto. And again, to express in attitude or in gesture one's complete dependence on or submission to high authority. So how would they translate it? Fall down and worship. Do obeisance to, to prostrate yourself before, to welcome respectfully. So these words in the Bible that are often translated worship, what we do is when we read them, we say worship is to gather with the people of God and sing songs. And so when we read those words, we assume the description of worship is the people of God gathering together to sing. And we take out of the word all of the physical expression that lies at the heart of what the word means. It was less about singing and it was more about what they did with their body in relation to the God that they worshipped. David is the one that out of that worship sets up a system where they have musicians who are who are leading song in the temple. The posture came before even the singing. Again, when I think about the definitions of these words, I don't think what I see in many churches described as worship matches the descriptions of the words that we have in the Bible. When it comes to God and when it comes to worship and when it comes to the Sunday morning experience of worship that we do through congregational singing, posture matters. Posture matters. I want you to think about this in the world, right? Posture matters in our world. If someone, I could go back in time to me with Monica, when someone wants to propose to their significant other, what do they do? They drop to a knee because being on your knee symbolizes what you're about to do. At a sports game, your team scores a goal. If the whole stadium just sat you see that? That was interesting. Good job. Good job. 
right? They're jumping up and down. We're high-fiving each other. People are ripping their shirts off in celebration. Streamers are flowing with joy. Think about what happens when you meet the President of the United States of America. There's a posture you're expected to take as you meet this person of importance. If you fly across uh, to the the source of your country, uh, you would stand before sadly not the queen, it's now the king. And, uh, and for men, you're expected to stand at att- well, attention and, and greet the king. And if you're a woman, you're expected to curtsy. Uh, there are responses we're supposed to have. Uh, what do you do if you sing the national anthem or say the Pledge of Allegiance? Right? We have postures built into our society. You want to teach your kids to be confident, you teach them a firm handshake and make eye contact. That, that, that teaches confidence to your children. What happens if a cop comes at you and wants to arrest you? Put your hands in the air. Don't move. Um, we have posture built into all of society and there are certain actions that if you do them, everybody knows what they mean. And then when we come into church, we say, well, I'm not a posture person. Did you get down on the knee to propose to your spouse? Did you ever learn, if you were in the military, how you were supposed to stand or how you were supposed to march? We learn these things. Some people say, it's not my personality to be expressive. That's okay. But sometimes we should not let our personality dictate our relationship to Jesus. And we should choose to step out of what is comfortable in order to offer our body to him. Posture in worship is like many things in our faith. It's an outward expression of the internal reality. It's exactly what baptism is. I know there's people in the room, if you're following Jesus and you haven't been baptized, this is the most important thing you can do in your faith journey. Baptism is to say, I'm going to take my physical body and I'm going to reenact the death and resurrection of Jesus and publicly confess that I'm about him. Baptism is saying, with my body, I'm drawing a line in the sand that everybody can see. I'm no longer hiding from him. I'm no longer hiding from the world. I'm not going to allow my fear of people and judgment to get in the way. But with boldness, I'm going to allow my body to express my devotion to Jesus. Sunday morning worship, the church is a training ground for what happens in the rest of the week. Sunday morning is an opportunity to train yourself to reconnect your inside and your outside. Um, If you come into church on a Sunday, and, and, and these are things that you're allowed to do, right? Sometimes we come in and we don't feel like we feel a little down, a little low. It's been a tough week and the first song's like happy clappy and you're just like, I'm not there. I'm just not there this morning. You have full permission here to sit in your seat and talk to Jesus about my week's been hard and this song is hard for me to sing. So I'm going to let all the other people in the room sing it for me. And I'm just going to sit here in your presence. But sometimes Sunday morning is the time to say, I have allowed being down to dictate how I function for too long. So this morning, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to dance in the presence of the Lord to encourage my body to function the way it needs to function in relation to the Lord. Sometimes it's to say, I don't really like to sing. I'm concerned about how my voice sounds to the people around about me. So I just sit and listen because I don't want to inflict this on, sorry, Kim and Shelby and Aaron. Don't want to inflict on the people that can hear me. 
um, sometimes it's to say, you know, I care more about Jesus and expressing devotion to him than I do about the people in the room. So I'm just going to let it come freely to him. If you can't sing a song when you don't want to sing a song, what hope do you have sharing the gospel when you risk rejection and persecution? If you can't put your hands in the air because the song says, I stand with my hands in the air, because something inside says that's wrong, or I'm better than everybody else, or that's stupid, that's not my tradition, it's not my personality, what hope do you have when God says, forgive that person all their wrongdoings, empty half of your savings account and give it to these people for the work of the kingdom? What hope do we have to do those things if on a Sunday morning we can't practice reconnecting what's inside with what's going on outside? The importance of posture uh, comes up when you think, and, and this is one of the ways I think that drives this home for me, basic communication theory. Basic communication theory says that 70 to 93% of communication is nonverbal. So there was a guy, Albert Morabian, who in 1970 popularized a theory that's been repeated multiple times in different studies. So the number is quite broad. But in his research, he discovered that when it comes to communication, 7% of communication is the words that we speak, 38% of communication is the tone that we use, and 55% of that communication is what we do with the rest of our body. And multiple people have tried different studies, so there's this variance, but all of the studies say that the majority of our communication is nonverbal. When we are safest... And when we are most free, our inner life and our outer life is most aligned. When you're with a friend who is the safest person and you feel the most free to be yourself, you're most free to allow all the non-verbals to match the verbals. How are you today, Scott? I'm fine. How are you, Becca? But if I'm safe and free, how are you, Scott? I'm having a hard time. Life is tough right now. Lots of transitions going on. Pressing on. You look like it's really weighing on you. Oh, it is. I haven't realized how much. When you're freest and safest, our inner and our outer match. Sunday morning should be a space where people feel free and safe in the presence of Jesus and in the non-judgmental presence of the body of Christ to practice letting what's on the inside show on the outside. Question for you. If a non-believer was to walk in the door today, someone that doesn't know Jesus, that isn't pursuing them, maybe they're a little curious, they walked in the door today and their only experience of church was watching you during worship, what would it tell them about the God that we worship and about the level of your devotion toward him? Would it show someone that is sold out to him? Would it show someone that doesn't want to participate with him? Would it show someone that's content and still and rested in a world that's full of anxiety? Uh, Would it show someone that's so amped up that Jesus can't even get a word in edgeways because we're just to energize a bunny? If non-believers walked in the room today and watched you worship, What would they deduce about Jesus and about your devotion to him? A couple of things as as I wrap this up. Yesterday, I gathered with some people at Bagley Park. 
um, a group of people were meeting to pray for Washington County. And at one point, as I was in the back worshiping, uh, I turned around and I saw this dear, sweet, elderly lady. I watched her like shakily lower herself to the ground and just worship her heart out. And then I saw the looks of panic and desperation as she looked for help to get back up off her knees later on. Um, But I was so struck because sometimes we say, well, those kind of postures are for the young people. Um, My body can't do that anymore. Sometimes we've got to tell our body, though it doesn't feel very good to do it for Jesus just this once, I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to flop and flail trying to get back on my feet for him. And it's not just the elderly that have to flop and flail. (laughs) I'm pretty good at that as well. Um, It reminded me, I showed this picture last week, it reminded me of watching Ella uh, a couple of weeks ago and all these young people. Um, As I watched her, it's the reason I took the photo of her, like looking at this elderly lady and then going just a couple of weeks ago watching all these young people. It doesn't matter how old we are, where we are. One of them's in a worship setting. One of them's in the middle of a park in, in downtown Hillsborough. It's not about age. It's not about personality. It's not about place. It's about practice. I could tell that this was a lady who had practiced worshiping Jesus. One final scripture that I want to reflect on. I'm going to read it and just draw one thing for you to think about from it. This is Second Samuel chapter 6. David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fattened a calf, and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, which technically is underwear, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from the window And when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it up in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person and the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. I'm just going to say those are aphrodisiacs culturally. So he gave them to the men and women and sent them home. They all went home quite promptly. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over all God's people. It was before him. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. There are two different postures in this passage, internal postures. David's spirit, a spirit that was free in the presence of the Lord, that in joy and rejoicing stripped half naked and danced in the presence of the Lord. And then his wife, Michal, whose spirit was one of judgment and condemnation, who felt she was the one that could dictate what worship was supposed to look like for God and in the lives of God's people. 
When we set ourselves up as the judges of worship, we look more like Michal than we look like David. And I think for many of us, when it comes to worship, whether it's here or other places, I think if we're honest, more of us spend more time like Michal than we do like the one who was called a man after God's own heart, who danced freely and nakedly. I will tell you, I'm going to draw a line. You're welcome to dance here, but you have to keep your clothes on. So So in a moment, I'm going to have you reflect on that passage. I want you to think about your heart toward worship. I want you to think about your heart toward posture. I think back to my high school girlfriend. She was Michael, looking at people worshiping freely before the Lord and judging and criticizing and complaining rather than worshiping freely. And what happened? Me, who was barely walking with Jesus, was being shaped that that was not an okay way to worship. And I had to fight through that mantle that she put in my life to encounter the presence of God. We have to be very careful how we worship. Let me finish with this blessing, and then you can have a quick conversation. St. Teresa of Avila prayed this prayer and this blessing that I want to pray over you. She wrote, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. So, when you come on a Sunday to worship and as we worship to wrap up the service, may your body be offered to Jesus as an instrument of righteousness. And today, as we sing songs, he has no body on this earth to worship with but yours. So allow Jesus to express his affection through, the fa- through you to his Father and allow it to show. So let me pray and then I'll give you the question to reflect on. God, uh, we, I want this to be a place where we are free. Freedom means that we can choose to do and that we can choose to abstain. I want this to be a place where people can come and sit in stillness and quiet and enjoy your presence. I want this to be a place where people can come and not sing because they don't feel like it today. I want this to be a place where people can sing loudly and out of tune Uh, because they're praising you. I want this to be a place where people dance in your presence, where they fall face down on the ground, where they raise their hands. God, it's not about the external posture. God, what I want is a church full of people who are so in love with you, whose devotion for you is so strong that it bursts from them. And whatever posture that needs to take, but God, would you free us? Would you reconnect our head and our heart and our hands in your presence. And may you receive the glory in Jesus' name. So before we sing a couple of songs to finish, here's your question. Turn to some people next to you. And what ways do you reflect the Michael spirit when it comes to worship?